This is Opinionated. I don't really have a full understanding of it, but that won't stop me from having an opinion. That's why we're here. Join Features Editor Ben Schiller and reporters Anna Batakova and Danny Nelson. You know, crypto is no longer just about money. It's about culture now. It's like you're thumbing your nose at the process. Part of politics and part of sports and part of gaming. And it's not just the future of money anymore. As they push the conversation further with their own criticisms and reactions to the latest Bitcoin and crypto news from around the world. It believes crypto is bad and it wants it out. I'm even old enough to remember when Microsoft was a kind of cool company. Ben, you're old enough to remember when telegrams came over a wire under the sea. (laughs) And just a reminder... Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Hello and welcome to Opinionated, a podcast from the Coindesk Podcast Network. And I'm Ben Schiller, the Features Editor here at Coindesk. Today we're going to be discussing a very big event in crypto history, a real milestone. That's the merge, Ethereum's merge, which took place last week. This was really a seminal event in the history of cryptocurrency where Ethereum moved from a proof-of-work consensus mechanism to a proof-of-stake system. And it was long heralded and ultimately successful. And as I say, a milestone for Ethereum and a validation of a long held vision to make the second most important blockchain network a more environmentally friendly network and favored by a larger number of users and developers. Danny Nelson, uh, your co-host of this podcast, how are you doing? I am the co-host, yes. Uh, Our other co-host is not doing so well today. So it's just the two of us. Anna is out sick this week. But this week on Opinionated, we're talking about Starkware, Ethereum, Layer 2s, Layer 3s, however you want to think about it. We've got the key figures of Starkware, Eli Ben Sasson. He's the president and co-founder alongside Uri Kolodny, the CEO of Starkware. They're building a Layer 2 scaling solution for the Ethereum blockchain. Layer 2s, of course, try to bring scalability to blockchains that really are slow and expensive to use. And their solution, StarkNet, solves those problems by taking some of the work and bringing it off-chain where it can happen a lot faster and a lot cheaper. So, Eli and Uri, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Hi, thanks for having us. We should just say that Starkware is an Israeli software company that develops zero-knowledge proofs on the Ethereum blockchain, so very much well-situated to be talking about this historic event. Again, with the merge, the merge is this huge transition that Ethereum just underwent, and it's really part one of an ongoing effort to improve the blockchain. And now that we've moved from proof-of-work to proof-of-stake, there will continue to be upgrades to make it more scalable in the coming months and years. Those aren't happening just yet. And in the interim, the network is as slow and expensive as ever, (laughs) which has left an opportunity for enterprising folks to build solutions, of which Starkware is one of them, with the zero-knowledge proofs to create a layer two scaling solution, basically taking some of the load off of the main chain to still make things happen in a much more economical way. Now, the merge, as far as I understand, doesn't really affect Layer 2s specifically, but because you guys are still very much part of the Ethereum ecosystem, interested and excited to hear your perspectives on how all this factors into your vision and the network's growth. First things first, it's to congratulate the folks within the Ethereum community who have been working very hard on this effort for years, really. I think, you know, folks like Danny Ryan and Justin Drake, Vitalik, of course, 
uh, we've spent an awful lot of both IQ and, and heart and emotion in getting this sort of across the finish line and building the social consensus around this to make it happen. It's really, it's, it's a gargantuan feat. And, you know, people say after all that's been said and done, a lot more was said than done. So here, you know, a lot was done, an awful lot was done, and just in the most impressive and sincere and serious way. So it's a remarkable achievement. We salute and applaud the, the folks who saw this through. It's, it's just super impressive. Now, with the role that Layer 2s do play, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what the future holds for Ethereum and for ZK Rollups, because that's really the, the secret sauce. First off, could you explain to us just in like a one-minute debrief what are zero-knowledge proofs and how do they factor into the Ethereum ecosystem? Yeah, we prefer to refer to them as validity rollups because ZK sends you on a different tangent of privacy and it's populated. But these proofs, what they do is they solve the problem of integrity, which is beautifully defined by the author C.S. Lewis as doing the right thing even when no one is watching. So suppose you have some magical solution that lets you know that the right thing was done even when no one is watching. Then you can start treating the blockchain as this computer that's really important. It might be congested and slow, but why not try to use it to be the party enforcing that the right thing was done even when it, the blockchain, isn't watching? And with the technology of validity proofs, and in particular, Stark proofs stand out in their ability to help scale, you basically can use Ethereum to sort of inspect and check and know that an exponentially greater amount of computation and transactions were carried out with integrity, even when the blockchain wasn't processing you know, each one of them individually. So basically, you get exponentially greater scale by using the blockchain, not to process transactions one by one, but by inspecting these validity proofs that assert that the right thing was done, even when the blockchain wasn't watching. So what does the merge mean for your technology? Does that make it more viable in this new environment or is there less need for it now? So the first thing the merge means is just this is great news, first of all, for the carbon footprint of blockchain on humanity, which is, you know, very important. So it's really good that, you know, folks like the leaders of Ethereum are thinking about the future and, you know, our globe, right? Just so there's a globe and, you know, people can go on using the things like blockchain. The second thing that the merge is really good news for is it shows the ability of Ethereum to upgrade an engine of this spaceship as it is cruising, which is a highly non-trivial thing to do. And I think, you know, one image that comes to mind is like, you know, the unfolding of the web telescope where it's this very intricate process. You know, a lot of things could go wrong, but they haven't gone wrong. And the consequences could have been very dire and irreversible if something had gone wrong, but didn't. So I think likewise, the merge shows that Ethereum has this ability, even though it's a decentralized ecosystem, to undergo things that improve it. And while the merge, as it is right now, doesn't directly affect layer twos, the very next steps, things like, you know, dunk sharding and, you know, blobs and a whole lot of technical terms are all about layer two centric and validity rollup centric and proactively making Ethereum this settlement layers that is proactively in favor of validity uh, rollups, which is really great news for Ethereum because it will scale and also for us because we're one of the leading layer twos. 
Right. Could you put that in more in context? I mean, for someone who is not aware of the kind of technology development, what does this actually mean for businesses and for particularly businesses in finance? So what are the kind of new things they're going to be able to do as a result of this new upgrade? In the end, you'll get just much higher throughput and much better user experience and much lower gas cost per transaction. And what the merge, again, tying this to the merge, the merge is one in a series of steps of development of the infrastructure that will make things like layer twos much easier to deploy at even greater scale and lower cost. Now, will it be quite as monumental when we see things like, I don't know, sharding on Ethereum? Is that going to be heralded to such a degree as the merge has been? Or is this really probably the flashiest that we're going to get in these series of tech progressions? I think it will get flashier because from a technical complexity point of view, these next steps, some of them are actually even more you know, daunting. We have confidence that they will be executed well. You know, in terms of a headline in, in a newspaper that family and friends understand and appreciate, reducing the carbon footprint you know, by two orders of magnitude, that's a very big deal. That's something that people can easily relate to, can easily appreciate. And do you think that will bring uh, new people into the ecosystem? I mean, people who might have been sort of put off by the environmental footprint in the past will now be sort of hopping on board? To be sort of uh, precise and truthful about this, the carbon footprint itself of the network, at the end of the day, I don't think is likely to change. What changes is the carbon footprint per transaction. What we've seen in many other examples in the past is that as you reduce the cost per transaction, what happens is that all sorts of applications that are in a way could be viewed as sitting on the sidelines waiting for a cost to come down. Now they're suddenly in play and they can sort of participate in the network. And so whatever, a game that initially was sort of out of bounds, too expensive, etc., now can actually be built. And so all that capacity is, is sucked up by demand that was pending. So I think that's what we're likely to see. And I think that's terrific. So give us a bit of a longer term vision of the future here. How do you see this technology and particularly sort of impacting how finance is, is done in the future? Give us your sort of grand vision for five years down the line. I will say this, that one sort of interesting sneak peek into the future was seeing how the whole Celsius story unfolded. What I think is going to become sort of a very telling indicator of, of what the future holds is, is to see what happened to the various DeFi contracts that were interacting with Celsius. Specifically, they incurred no counterparty risk. They did not lose a dime. To me, that was just super, super, super interesting with the smart contract. I either pay up or you get slashed. That was just super interesting and super impressive. So hopefully we're going to be building a, a more stable financial systems and more transparent ones and fair ones, making sure that people don't get hurt. So even though it was a disaster and a catastrophe for many people, it sort of unfolded in a predictable, computational way. From the smart contract side, from the self-custody side, it was far less of a disaster. And that's interesting. That's actually something we've spoken on the show about before, this idea that with this lending crisis that we've seen in crypto for the last couple of months, it's really abating now, but the ramifications still are ongoing. The centralized financial players are the ones that went kaput, came under a lot of pressure and didn't hold up so well. And the smart contracts and the code and the stuff that's on chain, they didn't fundamentally fail as these businesses did. That's because they couldn't fundamentally fail, at least not in the way that the businesses did because of the way that they're written. 
So does that mean that all activity should just automatically move to smart contracts? Almost certainly not, because there's all these hacks and separate issues that we see in this mm-hmm. space, and it's, it's more of a, an evolving technology than something that can be proven. But from a crisis situation of this magnitude, they have, as a class, held up a lot better than their centralized entity counterparts. Coindesk is calling all visionaries in the digital economy to present at its newest event, Ideas. Ideas is the place for you to present your market opportunity in front of leading investors poised to help you get your idea off the ground. Apply to become a presenter at Ideas 2022 at Coindesk today. Visit coindesk.com slash ideas for more information. How do you see the merge impacting the centralization and decentralization of the Ethereum network? It's like one of the first headlines that we wrote, you know, we're, we're hit job journalists, right? So we're just looking for those <laughs> angles. But uh, one of the things we did notice was a lot of the work initially being done after the transition to proof of stake was done by a couple entities such as Coinbase and Lido, just, you know, validating many of the transactions. Is this going to become a genuine problem for Ethereum if we see a lot of accumulation of power to certain players? Yeah, if power centralizes, that's a problem. Bitcoin also, there were times where it was facing such things when some mining pools suddenly happened to have too great of hash power. And I mean, hopefully there'll be some way in which this can fragment and uh, you know things become more decentralized. Yes, but if you know at some point, whatever Coinbase is behind uh, 70% of the stake, that's a problem. How does decentralization play into StarkNet specifically? Like, where are you on the, the spectrum of decentralization? So it's a spectrum, and some aspects of it are extremely encouraging today. For instance, if you look at the just headcount of people working full-time on infrastructure for StarkNet. So Starker is, is much less than, you know, let's say much less even than 30% of this headcount. That fraction is even going to go down. And it's not because we're putting less resources, it's because actually developers are showing up and doing amazing things. And that's like really important because this is like the core of decentralization. Most intricate part is getting developers, you know, to, to work on it. How does the promise of decentralization sort of coincide with the promise of privacy that is so central to, to crypto? And does the merge help us on that road to more, a more sort of private internet? I think these are orthogonal questions. If anything, decentralization maybe slightly harms privacy because, I mean, decentralization calls for transparency and everyone seeing everything or distributing it. So it it seems to indicate that you get less privacy, but thanks to, and and now is a good point to mention zero knowledge because zero knowledge is all about privacy and also the ability to do things like layer threes. I mean, maybe you want to say a little bit about like L3s and like... L3s. What, what is an L3? Oh, yeah, right. What are L3 L3s? Is, is what you do is you take the layer two and you add one. Shit. Yeah, yeah, no. You... M, is it then? Like L-M-N-O-P? Exactly. So what's that all about? So we published a post last December called Fractal Scaling, introducing this notion of layer three. And uh, we're delighted. Vitalik, a few days ago, actually posted his thoughts following that blog post. Basically, the idea behind L3 is the following. Just like uh, there are these scaling solutions where proofs are generated off-chain and then verified by a smart contract on Ethereum, okay? 
if that verification is not done on Ethereum, meaning not done on layer one, but instead done by a smart contract on Starknet, you could think of these systems as having moved one layer up to layer three. And so, for example, the StarkX instances, which is our SaaS offering for projects like Sorare. I don't know if you guys know Sorare now. Yeah, of course. The StarkX instances today that are in production settle on Ethereum. Now, if those proofs are settled instead on the public StarkNet, you could say that those StarkX instances move to Layer 3. Now, we expect in Layer 3 to find not only StarkX instances, but also what we refer to as custom StarkNet instances. So what are custom StarkNets? Those are likely going to be things like app-specific chains that serve the needs of a particular commercial entity that wants its own little walled garden. And so for those entities, this would be an even better skill, even lower gas per transaction. But I think more importantly, they would have the benefits of not operating on a public chain, meaning being able to determine the pace with which they introduce innovation into their software stack and the exact nature of data availability solutions and access to that environment. Because as much as composability is a super powerful notion on public chains, on Ethereum, on StarkNet itself, it may well be that businesses say, well, Danny is my business partner and I'm going to allow him to deploy his smart contract within my custom StarkNet. But Ben isn't, and so he's going to have to interact with my environment in a different fashion. In essence, in a compressed fashion, that is the spirit of, of layer three, of fractal scaling. Hmm. Okay. To hop back to decentralization for a moment, I have a question that's a little more wide-ranging than just StarkNet and Ethereum. Last night, I was talking with a developer that I know in the Solana ecosystem, and he had just tweeted last night in a fit of rage, apparently that he really isn't seeing many projects prioritize decentralization. And I, I followed up with him privately. I asked him, like, tell me more about why you think this way. And he said, nobody cares about decentralization. It's not what's important for them. His perspective was that they should care about it, but his analysis was that they weren't. I'm curious to hear your thoughts, though, about like where you see individual projects landing on actually prioritizing decentralization, because decentralization is this big term that's been crucial to the so what of crypto since the beginning. If you don't have decentralization, well, then what's the point? You just kind of have a, a bad database, really. Yeah, I think that in the short term, it seems and many projects get away with not really doing decentralization or promising we're on the way to that. But if you take the long view and even look at projects, and I don't want to name names, but if you look back enough into the past, you will see that many uh, highly regarded projects of the past that promised uh, like this, we're going to have now great scale and soon decentralization. After some time, they're like tossed and uh, it just subsides and disappears. And I think that a project that doesn't strategically understand that you really need decentralization in order to be there you know, beyond the initial pump or beyond phase where some of the founding team can sell tokens is not something that people should be looking at. I want to say that, you know, it's also important to recognize and appreciate that it is a progressive process and it's a very hard thing to figure out. So guys, I was speaking a couple of weeks ago to an Israeli venture capitalist, and he was telling me about the history of crypto development in Israel. And he had a theory for me which was that after the ICO boom, the implosion of many ICO projects in 2017 and 2018, in his view, had a chilling effect 
on the continued development of crypto projects in Israel. So I'm wondering now, in the context of Celsius, this big Israeli company that has blown up in spectacular fashion, if you guys think that there might be any other reputational risks that people associate with Israel, maybe internally or around the world, is this something that you're even seeing? In the following sense, for sure, the ICO era had a whole bunch of bubbles. I, I actually, I don't think that in Israel, there were like anyone that jumps to mind that I would think of them as like ICO scammers, at least not I'm aware of. But certainly, yeah, that was a frothy time. So Israel is like very good with startups in general, and uh, especially in like cybersecurity and cryptography and so on. Somehow there's a lot more focus on cybersecurity here. So like, it wasn't like that there were like a gazillion startups and then some chilling effect and they all closed. No, it was just that people were doing other things. And maybe because it's sort of a far off corner of the universe, it's just, you know, till recently, it wasn't sort of picking up. But, but even in the blockchain space, right, there are folks like Fireblocks who are building a powerhouse and Bravos that's building a beautiful wallet, you know, built over Starknet. Simplex. Yeah, yeah. A whole bunch of serious effort. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to wrap the show here now. Ellie and Yuri, thanks very much for coming on the show. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Thank you very you. much. It's been a fantastically insightful look at the future of Ethereum post-merge. And this has been the Opinionated Podcast. This has been the great Danny Nelson. Thank you. And I'm Ben Schiller. And see you next time. Thanks for listening. And now, a teaser from Coindesk's newest podcast, Women Who Web 3. Welcome to Coindesk's Women Who Web 3 podcast, your weekly podcast celebrating women supporting women, investing in women, and bridging the gender gap in wealth through Web 3. Each week, we'll be learning from powerful women, sharing their insights on topics like creating belonging and inclusivity in the digital spaces, the metaverse, building prosperous Web 3 projects, investing in cryptocurrencies and building wealth. And we have how-tos from founders and builders who have been there and done that, healing sessions to give you the power to overcome imposter syndrome and everything you need to level up in your crypto journey. At the end of each podcast, stick around for some Zen with a relaxing meditation to center you after absorbing all the stories and the knowledge. I'm your host, Cams, and I'm on a mission to empower women across the globe to unlock the unlimited potential and earning power inside themselves through Web3. Whether you're just crypto curious or a crypto connoisseur, this podcast is for you. Let's get it. You've been listening to Opinionated with Ben Schiller, Anna Batakova, and Danny Nelson. This episode has been produced and edited by Eleanor Paul with announcements by Michelle Mousseau. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, Opinionated. Or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 